0: My is Lana. Um, I'm an Al-Anon member from Casper, Wyoming. Um, I attend the Monday Night Caring and Sharing Al-Anon Family Group. That's my home group. Has been my home group now for about 12 and a half years. It was the first meeting I ever attended. Um, Haven't found it necessary to change a home group yet. Um, It's a good meeting. Um, And I have some of those members with me here tonight, and that helps me. That helps me a lot. I appreciate that they came today. Um, I thought of some things that I would like to say before I start tonight. Um, One is to thank the assembly, the people, the committee that that put this on today. I understand they had to go through some trials and extra efforts in order to do that, and you've done a really nice job. Um, The lunch was wonderful. Our business meeting was great. And the fellowship, as usual, has been good. And that happens every time I show up to these things, if I just get here. um, I always have a wonderful experience, and it's been that way today. I want to thank Juanita for calling me um, some time back and asking me if I would do this. Um, My job up here tonight, and I do consider it a responsibility, is to... um, not to dazzle you or to um, entertain you or any of those things. Um, When I think about speaking, sometimes I get into fear because I'm not sure what I have to share with you. And what usually comes to mind is that I have only one story, and if I stick to that, it's pretty comfortable. You know, I know it very well. So so that's what I'm going to try to do tonight. I also want to say what a privilege it is to share this evening with Wanda. Um, Wanda and I have known each other at least since I've come in. She was here a long time before I was. Um, We've had lots of talks together and and things happen together. We've also cried and laughed together, and I think that's what this is all about, seeing one another through things and being there for one another. And um, I know that she loves Alcoholics Anonymous, and I always love to listen to her talk about that. And I love Al-Anon, and I love Alcoholics Anonymous. So um, that kind of gets me feeling right about what I'm doing here today. Um, I'm pretty, uh, pretty generic Al-Anon, I guess. Um, I don't have a lot of um, big events or, or big stories. I have a lifetime of um, living with alcoholism. And I'd like to start out uh, telling you where I came from. Um, you know, the big book says we share in a general way what it used to be like, what what I used to be like, what happened, and what I'm like today. And so I'm going to try to stick to those guidelines and um, hope this comes out okay. I was born um, in Missouri in a very, very small community um, to, uh, to a family that was really... Um, um I guess you would say very close-knit, um, perhaps most of them, pretty non-educated, um, hard-working, very poor family. Um, and I have a family that was full of a tremendous amount of love for one another. I don't know to this day, I, you know, I've thought about this sometimes, I don't know to this day during my childhood years if I ever really had contact my younger childhood years with alcoholism at all. You know, I know that my parents were not alcoholic, are not alcoholic, basic teetotalers, um, alcohol at that time... In growing up was something you had at a special occasion like a wedding or a picnic or something like that. And so my um, first introduction to alcohol, you might say, and its effects on people were good ones. And I had had nothing to fear about alcohol when I was growing up. I was very protected by my parents. We didn't have a lot of outside friends. We always lived in the country. And um, although we were very poor our needs were met and I had a very, very happy childhood. I was talking to Cher on the way and I you know my memories of being a young child before junior high school, all that I ever cared about was getting a horse and riding in the hills and I had dreams and expectations like any child, but I never went to bed afraid, I never went to bed hungry, I never suffered those kinds of things so i I guess what i 'm trying to say is is um, I hear a lot of people make you know different remarks at times and and it might be true in many people 's lives and in, but in my case, I was not attracted to alcoholics, you know I just you know, I hear people say that a lot of times. I didn't even have a clue of what an alcoholic was. I was attracted to a man um, that I fell in love with, and alcoholism um, took both of our lives and did what it did. And uh, so, I, you know, I have heard people say, well, gee whiz, you, you know, Al-Anon people are so sick that they would seek out alcoholics. I don't think that's true in most of our cases. I think... It just happens. Um, <clears throat> nevertheless, I didn't start having um, any real difficulties at all in my life until I got into probably junior high school, and I noticed suddenly that we were very poor. And um, that happens, you know, when you get about that age. You start comparing yourself to other people. And and I did that, and, and I think that's pretty common. I think I carried to to a lot of extreme. I became pretty much a loner at school. I could act and be and dress and try to be somebody that I knew I wasn't. Um, But I never brought friends home. Um, It seemed pretty important in those days. It was the big oil boom in Casper, and there was a lot of money floating around. And most of the kids that I hung with um, were from families that... um, you know, they had all the nice things, and I started to compare myself at that time with people. And uh, I guess in in a big sense, I kind of started to live a bit of a lie. Um, I didn't feel real accepted um, by a lot of people. I look back that, on that now, and I see that that was mostly my my own doing. Never really gave people a chance. I thought they judged you from your outsides. I knew nothing about. Um, our insides until I came to this program. And uh, basically it was like that until um, I met who was to become my husband. I was in eighth grade. I was attending CY Junior High School. My sister was a sophomore in high school. And uh, I used, you know, we hung together as kids. We, we didn't have outside friends. Our family, sisters, brothers, cousins, et cetera, et cetera, were our the people that we ran with. And um, one night she took me to a high school dance. She made a phony ID, and I wasn't allowed to be in there, but she got me in because of this this ID that she had made me for high school. And it was down at the VFW Hall in Casper. Anyway, previous to that night, she had been telling me about this guy that were was in several of her um classes in high school, and um, in fact, even I made a point to look him up that night so I could meet him. She always thought we would make a, a good match. Um, I wondered if she, how she's thought about that over the years, you know, but um, nevertheless, she introduced me to my husband, who would become my husband, and uh, his name is Dan. He was 16, I was 14 at that time. Um, I've never really... Um, Known anything different since that time? We're still married today, and as a matter of fact, next um, next month we'll have our thirtieth year wedding anniversary. So, um, yeah, thank you. I'd like to. I wish I could uh, tell you all of the the romance and the wonderful things that took place uh, from that point on. Uh, not that there weren't some, of course, there were. Um, all of us have. I think once we begin to recover and and the fog clears a little bit in all of our lives, we can look back and see that there were good times. And there were. And our good times started with the day we met. Um, we became very, very good friends, uh, very good confidants, and we ran together constantly. And we were together for two years when we got married. Um, so mathematically, I was 16 When we got married, he was 18. Um, We had children very young. We had both of our children before I was 19 years old. Um, I'm not sorry for that today. I spent a lot of years wondering, gee, I wonder what it might have been like had it it been a little different way back then. And I guess today I believe it happened the way it's supposed to happen. I have wonderful kids. I love them very much. Wonderful grandkids as a result of those kids. They brought a lot, a lot of joy into our lives and if I go back, could go back and change it, I'm certain I wouldn't because I've been given so much. Um, thanks to this program and um, Alcoholics Anonymous and Al Anon, that family's been restored and uh, we can enjoy one another today and have wonderful experiences together that would not and could not have happened on the road that we were on. Um, another thing that concerns me at this point in my story is um, alcoholism is why I'm here. You know, I didn't come to Al-Anon for any, you know, other reason, other disease, or just because I wanted to have coffee with a bunch of gals. I came because I was deeply, deeply affected by alcoholism, and it took off very rapidly um, in our life, in his life, and in my life. And so, at this point in the story, there's going to be some talking about drinking. A lot, a lot of drinking, and a lot of things happened. And I don't mean to and will avoid trying to tell his story, but um, he is a pretty big part of my life, you know, um, in this deal. So there will be mention of him, but um, certainly not to tell his story at all. I couldn't anyway. We have entirely different recollections of what happened. Um, So... (laughs) Um, but, from my perspective, I will tell you uh, what took place then, and that is that um we drank very, very much together um, we were into uh you- One being very young and married, um, you kind of lose that set of friends and you go on to another. And the groups that and the kids that we hung out with at that time were also married. We Our first home was a little apartment house over near the the high school. And um, it kind of started to become a, a hangout for the high school kids. They knew they could go to Dan and Lana's or these other kids' houses. There were, I don't know, maybe five apartments in a row on 8th street over by the high school i know john knows what i'm talking about right by the football field and those of us that had um, were sort of high school dropouts or mishaps whatever you want to call it lived there and we would have parties every single night at at one of those places and i was right along for with the deal you know i enjoyed very much those parties the night i met my husband at that dance um he was very, very drunk, and I thought he was the neatest thing that I'd seen since Santa Claus, you know. I had not experienced that kind of excitement ever. I d- I just didn't even know that people could have that much fun, and drinking was fun from my perspective during those days. Um, we partied a lot. We danced a lot. We... Uh, Always had people over, or we always went there, or what have you and and it was a scene for I don't know maybe two, three years it was like that and um, what happened at that time was a set of circumstances i my two children were both born with um, different problems, different medical problems. um I don't know to this day why, but that was the case and uh, it seemed that you know. What my job was at that time was to become a better mother and stop partying so much and be a little bit more attentive, Uh, especially our daughter um, had some very critical problems at that time, and her life was in danger. And I remember um, about this time, drinking, even though it was fun, it, it was starting to cause a few problems. Um, one thing that always seemed to occur when uh, when we'd been out partying was we didn't get along, you know. And I didn't know that I was trying to, you know, prevent things that, shoot, I didn't know what all those labels were at that time. I just know that he seemed to get extremely drunk, extremely fast, and never wanted to come home. And the party would be over and, you know, we'd be having to drag him out. And I'd lecture him and tell him, you know, all the things that we Al-Anon do. So, you know, we we um, get into that control and thinking there's something we can do long before we even realize we've gotten there. I believe that. Anyway, um, during that time, I, I asked Dan if we could maybe settle down a little bit on the partying. I think we needed to uh, look at our responsibilities and I had to take care of these kids and it was very important to me and he agreed with that that was important to him too and uh, and so I did I you know I stopped drinking so much I not that I didn't drink on occasion I have but um, the the real partying scenes stopped um, I've had my wedding rings taken out of my house I've you know, just lots of different things. So it just seemed to be that it was causing a little bit of difficulty at that time. Certainly nothing um, at that time that was even comparable to what was going to take place in the next few years. Anyway, I, I stopped drinking and Dan didn't. Um, his drinking continued and uh, he went on a, um, a course that was to happen for the next 20 years. Um, of our marriage. Anyway, uh, <laughs> We went through at that time. I'm trying to try to shorten up the the past and get to the what happened and what it's like today. We went through the gamut uh, with one another. Some people say, and it, thank you for the applause on the 30 years. That uh, you know, Sharon and I were talking on the way down here that a lot of people ask us. They want to know how that happened and you know what is it that you do that that keeps you together and how do you stay together? And I honestly do not know the answer to that question. Because for the next 20 years, Dan and I did everything to each other uh, with exception of kill one another, and um, not because we didn't try. You know, it just happens that we both lived through it. Um, he um, became a different person um, as a result of his drinking, and he... Uh, he got into, uh, you know, what he got into. He, he was changing jobs. He was moving places, and I'd move right along with him, and we'd try to go to somewhere where it might be better, and it would start all over. And we went on a, a really long, long course of trying to find answers in all the wrong places, like, you know, like one of those songs, a cliché is. And um, it never worked. And so the, the sicker he got in alcoholism... And understand that back then I didn't know that's what that was, you know, and I know today that he didn't know that's what that was. We've talked about those days and the ignorance that we both had for what was really happening in our lives. And I believe out of ignorance, and the big book says this in the chapter to the wives, you know, all these things can do happen. Um, I became a different person. Uh, wasn't uh, wasn't headed in a, d- a good direction. It was heading in a very, very destructive uh, direction. And I could see that alcohol was starting to um, become the most important thing in his life. Um, the things that we hear about all the time in these rooms, you know, the the broken promises and the fights and the crushed dreams and uh, all those things were very, very much part of our lives so during that 20 years. I... Um, Did not know because of my obsession with trying to prevent all of these things from happening. Um, I didn't know that I was becoming um, sick. I was getting ill myself. I didn't know that uh, my husband was sick. I thought it was a moral issue, and I treated him as such. And um, I got treated back the same way I treated him. I want to tell you that there was violence in our home. There was a lot of violence in our home, and it was never. I don't ever remember a time that it was ever precipitated by my husband. Um, That was a very hard thing for me to look at when I got here. But that was my way. uh, It's not like that for everybody, but that was my way of dealing with despair and hurt and... Powerlessness and those kinds of things when I was back in that life. Um, and I can remember many, many, many nights promising myself that I would not do that again. My children saw things I wish they would have never seen. Um, you know, I, I talk to my kids today, and, and I have one daughter that's 29 years old, and she today can talk a bit more openly with me. And she says, Mama, we always knew when Daddy was in trouble, and it wasn't because of what Daddy was doing. It was because of how you acted. And uh, that was a hard thing for me to swallow, but it's an awful truth. You know, I tried to protect those kids, and I kept Dan and those kids away from one another every chance I got. Um, and did a lot of damage along during those years doing that kind of thing. I did what I thought was... Right at that time, I was very wrong. I know today, but I did what I did. Um, you know, I I have to, used to ask Dan all the time, "Why don't you come home? Why don't you just bring your booze home? At least I wouldn't be out have you know I wouldn't have to be out there running around all the time, looking for you and all that stuff. Everything was always his fault. You know, every action that I took was his fault, and. Um, I look back on now, my God, why would anybody want to come home, you know, to that kind of thing? And uh, I don't say that to be a, you know, to make myself sound terrible. I don't say that as an ego thing. I just say that because that's the way it was. He'd walk in, and I would lose whatever uh, composure I had and the fight would be on. and, And I wasn't finished until the fight, until I was finished. And I didn't know how not to do that, you know. And the next day... The remorse in our home would be pitiful. He'd have a lot, um, and I would have a tremendous amount because of my actions, and I couldn't look my children in the eyes because of the way I had acted, not because of the way their dad had acted. Um, and so then we'd, we'd get into this this sickness and try to make up to each other for everything that had happened the night before, and we'd spend money we didn't have and shower the kids with gifts. And that's just how it had become. Um, none of us knew any different. My children uh, became accustomed to that kind of life. They knew what they could do and what they couldn't do or what they should do and what they shouldn't do. Um, when I got on one of my rampages, my children usually went to their rooms. And uh, they did what they did in their rooms. And they told me in later years, after I'd been in recovery for a while, that they used to go to that room and talk about, you know, what, what's going on and what's going to happen. And they were just full of fear, and I didn't even see it. I, I couldn't see it. Um, I remember when my daughter was 10 years old, um, she came up and tried to fix it one day. And she tried to fix her mom and dad and say the, say the right things to see if something might change, and I, I didn't see it. There wasn't anything that I I didn't know another way. It's just, it's just that simple. Um, later on in years, um, Dan started having uh, it, it, the things that happened to a lot of alcoholics. And he started having a lot of medical problems. He started having a lot of legal problems, job problems, Um, financial ruin um, had fallen our home. And uh, we started losing everything we had many times. We lost everything we had. We would build it up together and then we would lose it. And, you know, my first sponsor asked me one day, she said, Lana, you by this time in your recovery, you know about alcoholism and you can see what it had, had happened to your husband, but what happened to you along the way? And that's what I had to look at. And I will tell you today that I was as irresponsible as he was. Um, this thing is not a blame game. There aren't right and wrongs. Um, it's a disease, and it takes us where it takes us. And that's what we had become. My, my um, ignorance of alcoholism and what I was dealing with and what he was dealing with was um, it begot us all types of dilemmas. Um, I can remember one night Dan called me to come and get him because he couldn't get home, and I did the the thing that I did best, and I went and got him, and and put him in the car. And he became that night. It was different than it had been before. He was extremely drunk, but he was also, I could see, very, very sick. Um, I think that might have been the first time I ever saw drinking his drinking as being sick, and he started to have terrible hallucinations, and. I'd never seen that before. And he, st- I believe that night probably had a seizure. At that time I didn't know what those things were either. Nevertheless, I ended up getting him to the hospital. A um, couple times when these things would happen I'd call an ambulance and he'd get to the hospital and uh, get a 30-hour, 24-hour sobriety and he'd be out of there, you know. But this night I took him to the hospital. I called and told him my husband was sick. I didn't tell him he was drunk. And that I was bringing him in something was terrible wrong. And I remember this very, very nice male nurse. Sure, can I get some water from you, please? Um, I still work with him today. Um, His name was Jess. And he sat me down very calmly and told me that they were going to take care of my husband and, and everything was going to be okay that night, that I should just go home. And what happened was they ended up putting him in lockup, and that night he had to wear a straitjacket. And, uh, you know, I remember feeling, um, I think that was one of the, maybe the first true low spots. Um, terrible, terrible guilt feelings that I had um, ever experienced was that I thought that I had done that to him. Um, You know, I thought if I just would have left him alone and let him drink or do whatever, that that wouldn't have happened. Uh, My big dilemma was how to keep that kind of stuff from everybody. Um, Both of our families... You know, live, live pretty close, and my kids, I didn't know how I was going to keep that from them. And so I spent all night visiting with doctors and trying to um, get him out of that straitjacket and get him into a regular hospital room or get him home, because I didn't want anybody to know. And I know today that I thought that I would get blamed, and I couldn't take the blame anymore. You know, my family, um, God love them, they don't know either. And my mother and my father used to come to me all the time and ask me, just what was it I'm going to do about this man? Just what what is it, Lana, that you're going to do? And what they didn't know is I had tried everything. I had tried everything. And nothing seemed to be working. So my sense of failure was extreme. Um, just extreme. Anyway, uh Dan finally took a job out of town. And... Um, This is part of his story, so I'll leave it basically pretty much alone. It was the last five years of his drinking. It's a very, very important, um, monumental part of his life. I just know that the last five years of his drinking were sheer hell in our home. Sheer hell. Um, I'm not going to go into details. There are things in my life that I share um, one-on-one with a sponsor and um, it's not really my place to get up here and, and do a fifth step with you um, because my, I don't want to harm others. But um, I can just tell you that that my life and his life took a, a very, very rapid decline at that time. Um, he ended up in many hospitals um, as a result of drinking. There, we had lost another home. We had uh, just maybe, I think, something... I can't even remember. Time gets real jarbled for me in these days. Um, it all just seemed to uh, run by, and I can't really tell you when when things took place. I just know that it was in the, in the few years before he came to Alcoholics Anonymous and I came to Al-Anon. Nevertheless, um, he ended up in another hospital, and we were going to lose our home. And... Um, he ended up in a treatment center. And I thought um, at that time, this was in January of 1984, and I thought at that time that finally maybe this would work. I didn't know there were those kinds of places. You know, My idea of what might take place there was that night that I took him to that hospital. Um, and I thought they were probably going to chain him up or something and keep him in there and away from booze. I Had no idea what was going to take place. But anyway, he'd been there a couple weeks, and I was going stark grieving mad at home. Um, I had walked away from my job, and I I told you earlier the financial um, ruin that came about our home was just as much my part as his. Um, I had good jobs, you know, and I'd walk away from them because I couldn't deal with life. And I would sec- become a hermit, and I would seclude myself in my home. And there was a time that I'd done that for four months and didn't come out. And uh, the only reason I came out at that time is because my dad made me. Um, but anyway, he got put in this hospital. He went voluntarily. He called me in the month of December in 1983, and. It was around the holidays, and he wanted to get some help. And I was terribly mean to him. Uh, I I was always mean to him at that point. There was no compassion left in me at that point. Um, Anyway, he wanted to go, and and I talked him. I feel that I probably talked him out of it. Um, He would tell you that he needed to do some more drinking. So those are the two different perspectives. But I just, you know, to me, it just seemed very simple. It just seemed so simple to me. That's that was, that's an al dilemma. You know, when we have to admit our powerlessness, it's very difficult because to me, all you need to do is stop drinking, Dan. Just put down the bottle. Do something else with your life. Uh, I didn't know that, that King Alcohol, as he calls it, had a hold of him. Um, but anyway, he ended up in the hospital, and I was going to start graving that at home because of the financial situation we were in and I'd lost my job and my kids were sick and I was sick and I do mean emotionally sick all of us were Um, there was a lot of anything that was going on in our home anymore except just waiting waiting for whatever was going to happen next and he called me ten days after he was in there and uh, invited me to come there and he he mentioned to me on the phone that he was feeling better he'd been off booze for two weeks And that he had found out some things about himself, and he'd always, and he found out that he had been very sick. And he said, "Lana, I found out that you've been very sick too." And my response to him was, "You son of a bitch! You know, did you go tell him all this shit? You know, I knew that it was my fault. I really believed that. Um, That's not a martyr thing. That's just I believed that I wasn't the wife he wanted to come home to. I." that somehow something went wrong somewhere and if I could just get the setting right and just get the stage right, this thing would be okay. And and it wasn't happening that way. And I thought he had gone and told him all about me and that's why he drank and, you know, and he probably needed to get rid of this woman. So anyway, he invited me up there and I went up there with um, my teeth gritted and I was angry and I didn't want to be there, but his kids wanted to see him real bad. I got him inside of an elevator and pushed the stop button and let him have it a few times um in the hospital. And uh you know, in ten more or two more weeks he was gonna be coming home and you know, to me it just seemed like well they were gonna get his life together and things are gonna be fine for first time ever. It's gonna be okay. They're gonna cure him of alcoholism and I still didn't know what that was, but he'll come home and everything will be fine um, one thing that they told me and this is just this is, uh, I know how stupid this sounds but this is how sick I was and how much I did not know the only thing that I picked up on in that family week was they told me that I better get home and get my house in order so I did I went home and I remodeled our bedroom and I remodeled his den and I did the very best that I could to get the setting just right so he'd come home to a different place, and that was that's where my thinking was at that time and uh he came home we had a nice house for a while and now this is even more insane that's the house we were losing and so i don't know anyway you you do what you do you know um Dan came home and he, oh the one thing this this was the turning point this is what happened um they were going to take, take us to an AA meeting the last night I was, that I was there. It was on a Sunday night, I think. And they said, we're all going to go to a meeting tonight. And uh, I was I was up for that. You know, I was up for going into that AA meeting and finding out what the deal was and what I could do when he got out of there to make sure that he didn't drink again or, you know, get some kind of vast knowledge and they took us down a hallway, and, and some people took him to the right, and some other people grabbed me and my kids and took us to the left. And that's how I entered my first Al-Anon meeting. And I want you to know I had my, my toes and my teeth and my nails buried, you know, in the dirt, because I didn't want to go. Um, but I saved face and I went in there. And my first experience with that was at with Al Anon was just this and that's that I looked around the room and I thought, What the hell is this? You know. Um, there was a lady chairing the meeting that that she was very, very nice, but it you know, you can't be that nice and live with what I've lived with, so they can't know what they're talking about anyway. Um, what I've learned is that there was some serenity in that room and I didn't recognize serenity. I hadn't had it. I didn't even know if I ever had it. Um, I just know that it it just didn't seem to apply to me. The one thing that did happen was Margaret did stop me at the door as I was leaving. They asked me to share, and I said, no, and my kids won't share either. We don't even want to be here. And that was what I said. So... um, She stopped me at the door, and she gave me a phone number and the first name of a lady in Casper, and that was Shirley. And the only thing that she said to me, and why this meant anything to me at all in in my frame of mind at that time, I don't know. But the right people, you know, they're there when the right time comes. And she said, Lana, please do yourself a favor and just go when you get home. Go to a meeting when you get home. And here's a lady and uh, her phone number, and they have a meeting in their house and give yourself a break and go try it. And I did. I went and tried it. I had attended two meetings before Dan got out of the hospital. And thank God I had because um, he was home two weeks and he drank again and he was to continue to drink very, very badly and hard for the next two and a half years. Um, for some reason I kept going to Al I was so devastated and so confused. And so sick that I would go, but I couldn't. I couldn't tell you. Um, I had a real hard time telling you about what our life had become and what had happened in our life. First of all, I wasn't even sure anymore. You know, by this point, um, I know I've known people in Alcoholics Anonymous that have died of alcoholism. I know people in Alcoholics Anonymous that have drank again and blown their heads off. You know, I've known people that can't quit drinking and they've taken their lives. And I've known Al-Anons that have done the same. Um, you know, and I think that's about where I was and thank God I wasn't quite there. But I remember feeling that if I don't go to these meetings and whether I was getting anything at that time, I don't know. must have been. But I remember thinking at that time that I have nowhere else to go. You know, I... I just didn't know. I was quite sure that my husband would die um, either drunk or in an accident. I waited for it every night. I was sure that would happen. Um, it didn't, you know, thank God. But but that my life had become totally focused and totally obsessed with drinking and what... Was going to happen as a result of that, anyway, I kept going to these meetings and I looked forward i couldn 't wait till the next monday night i didn 't even know at that time you could go every other night of the week. You know that was where I locked into. I needed to get there to see those people. I could not be honest i didn 't know how to be well, what the truth even was you know it 's very, very difficult to to talk when you don 't know what it is even to say um, I remember one time I, t- I tried to chair a meeting and all I did was become a-, a bundle of nerves and collapsed into tears, and I could not tell you. Uh, and I sat in Al-Anon that way for about a year and a half. And I was getting some benefit. Um, it's It's not that nothing was clicking. It was. I just didn't know it. And I picked up on the very simple things in our program that sometimes can save our lives. And that is that for today... You know, I just have to do this for today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Um, let go and let God. The serenity prayer, some of the very simple things that that I, even at that simple time in my life, could pick up on and try to put into practice. I had a very difficult time with God. Um, I had tried over those 20 years, many, many attempts, to have a spiritual life in some way and I didn't even know that. I would go to the churches and I would go to these people and I would try because I knew intuitively that God was the answer. I just didn't know how to get there. I never measured up. I was extremely inadequate. I had never had a religious background at all. I didn't know how to read the Bible. It confused me. I didn't know how to say proper prayers. I thought you had to do it just right and do all this stuff. And I didn't know how. I'd never been taught and I didn't know that you could make a conscious contact with God as inadequate as I was, so the the um concept of God was very frightening, so I sat on step one for a hell of a long time because the next step you know gets to talking about that stuff so um what happened for me was. There was a lady that came into a meeting one night, and I had made attempts at sponsorship. I had made attempts at trying to talk to people, and I just didn't do my part is all. They were damn sure there for me, but I just could not do it. I just couldn't. The one thing that um, attracted me to this one particular lady one night was that she said that she had been married for, at that time, I don't know how many years, but a number of years. To a very beautiful recovering alcoholic that she loved very much. And, uh, you know, that touched me very, very deeply. Because the one thing that was happening with me is that I didn't think I should be living this kind of life. I thought that I probably should have done something different a long time ago. I didn't know what it was. But the one thing that I knew very well was that I did love this man. There was a man in there that I had known. And I still loved him, and I just wanted it to be different. That's all I wanted. So, out of what she said that night, um, I got the strength to go up to her, and what I, all I said was her, to her was, um, sometime could we have a cup of coffee? And she said, let's do it at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning at my house. And um, that's how I got introduction into sponsorship. It wasn't because I asked for one. It was because somebody saw that I couldn't do that and invited me into their life. And I met with her the next morning at 9 o'clock after driving around town and trying to talk myself out of it for an hour. finally got to her home. And something would come over me when I would try to, Talking, it would be that I would lose the ability to talk, not just not know what to say. My throat would close, and I could not speak. Um, it was despair, and it was confusion and devastation, and I didn't know how to do it. So this lady saw that, and she, you know, I, I could bullshit you, but I could not talk about the real stuff. And when it would get close to that, I, I'd seize up, i call it, and anyway, she would give me a pencil and paper, and she'd let me write it. You know, I could tell her that I was afraid, that I was scared he would die. I could finally say those things. Um, one thing I will always, always be grateful for, I went to this lady's home um, about a week ago and, and had to tell her this because she's been ill, and I had to tell her this, and that is to thank her so very, very much for putting me in to al on program, not the other stuff that we hear but the Al-Anon program and the 12 steps that we adopted from Alcoholics Anonymous, they graciously allowed us to adopt. She put me in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, Today, I do that with other people and I will tell you why. And that is that if I don't know about alcoholism, not a lot is going to change about me. You know, not a lot will. If I don't have or try to understand as best I can about alcoholism, and she knew that, and that was her experience. So we worked the steps according to the way they're outlined in the big book, and we used the Al-Anon books, and we used every book that there is available in these programs, and we worked those steps one by one. And uh, I got to that part um, about step two. I, I finally, through her help, uh, your help, meeting's help, and uh, her husband's help, I finally got... At least a general idea of what was going on with him. Um, it helped me to know, to finally find out what had happened all those years. It didn't change anything that had happened in the past, but it helped me to go on and want to seek a better way of life for myself. Um, it was very hard to let go of him. I remember one time my sponsor's husband sat across the table from me, and he he recognized my dilemma. Um, and he said, Lana, you know, I, I don't know how to tell you this, but your husband may die of alcoholism. He may not ever sober up. And that isn't what I wanted to hear. I wanted him to come too. See, I'd seen what Alcoholics Anonymous had done for other people in, that, in those years that I was coming when he was still drinking. And his life was terrible. You know, his life was terrible. And um, I just wanted him to come, and I couldn't get him here. There's just no way I could do it. I tried. I manipulated every situation I could to get him here. You know, he wasn't ready until he was ready. But um, nevertheless, I got into the steps, and and my life started to change. The fighting stopped, for one thing. It was a very big thing. And um, one night I noticed very, very clearly that... My God, we haven't had a fight in our house. It's been a while since I've hit him. It's been a while since I've wanted to hit him. And it's not because he had changed any. It, it had actually gotten worse. It's just that I was learning that about this disease. And I had started to get, for the first time in many years, a little bit of compassion for this man. Um, and we got to step two. And... uh You know, I I told you that I was having a a time with God, and I want to tell you how much the big book helped me at that time. And in the chapter to the agnostic, it talks about people like me that are so inadequate, you know, that that we can't make that conscious contact. And it says in there, and this is paraphrasing, uh, I won't quote it because I can't, but it says in there that no matter how inadequate, all that's required is a willingness and that is how I started my spiritual life in this program, was on nothing but willingness. It had nothing to do with the belief in God. I didn't even know if I did. I just know that I was willing to learn. And I said that night on the way home from meeting in her house, I finally prayed honestly for the first time in my life, and that was that, dear God, you know that I've never known you, and I don't know you. And I need some help. That's all I could say. But it was the first time I'd ever been just who I was at that time. And I went home that night. Um, we talk about spiritual experiences and spiritual awakenings and the, the big events. Uh, a couple of us gals, a few of us were out talking today about this, how we look over the miracles sometimes for big things and they're happening right around you all the time. And I had that experience that night. Um, it had been many, many, many years since I had closed my eyes um, in bed when my husband was out drinking. I would not allow myself to do that. I had to be there for whatever reason. I don't know. But I had to be awake, had to be there. I had to be ready for what was coming down. That night I came home and he had called me and he was drunk. And uh, you know, at that, there was no... Um, can you, uh, there was just no way to talk with him anymore, you know. Um, he was always pretty much deliriously drunk. And he was very, very sad alcoholic by this time. Um, and I would tell him, you know, that I'm sorry. That's all I could do. I couldn't, I couldn't do anything about it. It was very sad. But that night he had called me and he was out drinking and he wasn't going to come home and I knew it. And I went to bed and within a half an hour um, I was asleep. And I woke up the next morning, and it was almost startling for me because I, I woke up with a startle. My God, what happened? You know, it's the first time that it ever happened for me, and I don't know what I'd missed in that night. And it it became apparent to me that God answered my prayer that night and gave me some serenity that I'd never experienced before, and that was a very big thing that had happened to me. It made me believe. It helped me to see that that it is true that it's all that's required of us is a willingness and he will help us if we're humble enough and honest enough to do that and that's um, that's how I started and and it's grown somewhat since then but I basically have a very simple spiritual life and uh, it's contained in those 12 steps and that seems to work for me anyway I got on with the steps um, but if it hadn't been for that big book and what it said in there, I don't know, you know, if I would have had that experience. But it says it's okay for me to be inadequate. That's how I interpreted it. Um, so let's, you know, we go on to step three. And turning my will and my life over the care of God as I understand him. And God knew at that point, he knew me very well. I, I knew that. He knew that I didn't understand him. Um, but I, I did believe that he could do it. I knew that I couldn't at that point. And at that time, I turned my will and my life over to the care of God as I understood him. And and you know what that entailed? was that entailed my husband? He's a very big part of my life, and I had to give him to God. You know, I just had to say, God, do with him whatever it is you have to do. Um, That included my children. Um... There had been so much damage um, that seemed irreparable to me. And I didn't know what to do for my kids at that point. I didn't know how to go back and make up for all that. So I had to turn them over to, you know, and just give them to God and and let him do with all of us what he was going to do. When I got to the uh, fourth and fifth steps, and, and I was sharing my experience on the way down here about this, and uh, you know, I—I I guess I believe today that um, the experience that each one of us gets out of those steps is ours, and uh, that may happen at different times and in different ways for people. But my first, fourth, and fifth steps—that I did—did did not give me a warm, fuzzy feeling like I hear people talk about. Um, you know, I was anxious by that time to do them because I heard about the fifth step and people were having all of these um, enlightening experiences and this big burden had been lifted and oh my God, they felt so much better and I was real anxious to do mine Well I got that thing written out and uh, I went for it. And I, had, I, I was a mess. I was an absolute mess. It was the very first time in my life that I'd ever taken an honest look at Lana and what had happened and what I had done and what I had become. I had to admit that I was the physical, the, the violent one in our home and that my husband wasn't. And I would have had you believe otherwise for many, many years, you know. I had to admit that I was the one my children saw do that. They all All they wanted to do was sit on daddy's lap, you know. They couldn't get past me to do that. I had to admit those things about myself. Um, that was very hard for me, and I took on a tremendous amount of guilt at that time, almost too much for me to take. And uh, again, this same sponsor saw that in me, and I told her, I, "I just don't know if I can handle this. I think I'm at a point that I just—it's a jumping-off place. I don't think I can handle it." And Dan was not sober, you know, and here it, it just felt like crap all over again, and this time it was worse. And she said to me, um, I want you here immediately in the morning. I, I do not want you to sit long on this. And I asked her why, and she said, because we're about to get into the healing part of this program. And you're going to find you're going to be okay, Lana. And and so I couldn't wait to get there. To I would stay all night with her if she would let me, you know, just to get keep going. I didn't like that feeling at all. Anyway, we got into steps six and seven. I got to uh, look at my defects. I got to uh, ask God to remove those defects of character. I did not want to live like that anymore. I flat-ass didn't. You know, I hear people talk about, well, those character defects, I pull them out here and I pull them out there. I hate them. And when I grab onto them today, I'm as sick as I ever was. And I hate to be sick. I hate that feeling. I try very hard not to do it. It doesn't mean I don't. I screw up a lot. But I I hate that feeling. I don't want to live like that anymore, especially now that I know I don't have to, you know. Anyway, um, as a result of doing that inventory, I looked back and made a list of the persons that I had harmed. I've had very um, wonderful, wonderful amends work. I I don't know that it made their life any better. Um, I know that there have been relationships healed in our family. Um, I know that it's a result of this program and the work that God has um, put in front of us to do. But my husband and I mended, and he was still drinking. You know, I'm telling you that is possible. and Al-Anon it says that we can be happier, we can find happiness whether the, whether the alcoholic is still drinking or not. And I'm testimony to the fact that that is a true statement. You can do that. And I see that with other people all the time. Sobriety does not come to every home. You know. And uh, thank God that it doesn't promise us that sobriety has to come before we can be happy. It says that we can be happy whether the alcoholic is still drinking or not. And I've, you know, and happiness started to happen for me. And I started to uh, become free of that burden of guilt little by little. And I went to those parents that I'd moved away from so so many times I'd taken their grandkids away from them without a thought, without a thought of how they felt about that. God, I look back on that today because I have grandkids, and I can't imagine a life like that. If my daughter just moved away in the night one night and didn't even let me know where my babies were, I couldn't stand it, and I'd done that to my parents many times. You know, I got to go back and make all those amends got to go to his parents and make the amends. Everybody that was on that list, I got. I have been able to make those amends. God has seen to it and has taken some time. Um, my reason for doing that is to free myself of the burden of guilt that I felt all those years and so that I can walk with my head up. Um, and step 10, of course, gives us a way to do that on a daily basis. That if we get into trouble again, you know, and and we do, I do, I I mess up. Sometimes I get into things that are not my business, and I, every time I do that, there's usually harm done, you know. And um, I I can get I can get through that, and I can make those amends and not build up those many many years of resentments and amends they have to make. And eleven and t- eleven step eleven in in the searching continuing, or where, where am I, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God so we understood Him. I do that in the morning, every morning, and I do that all day. You know, I don't. for me, I don't think a step is, um, step 11 is to be worked at a certain time of day. Um, I used to try that, and then I'd get in trouble later on in the day, and I'd uh, not know exactly what to do. I think that I can call on God any time of the day. You know, and I have to many times a day, a lot of times. Um, And my conscious contact with God is improving. My concept of God, I do have one today, and and He's a very, very loving God. He loves us all. And I try to align my will, especially when dealing with people, with God's will. And I think He loves you, and I think I'm supposed to, too. You know, and if I always remember that, um, it helps me. Step 12, um, I work with a lot of people in this program. Um, you know, it's, um, I love this program, and I know what it's given me, and I love to be able to pass that message on to someone else, to carry this message. And um, for that reason, I do it. And it's not, you know, it's a two-way deal, um, I love to watch somebody else's life change around as a result of working the steps not as a result of working with me but as a result of working these steps. I love to watch what can happen in their lives and their families' lives and um but they give me back so much. You know, some of the some of the most wonderful things I have learned have become from people that I am working with. Uh taught me everything and um That is what the step is designed to do, you know, to carry this message and to practice these principles in our affairs. I didn't know how to do that in all of my affairs for a very long time, and I could not practice I didn't know how. I was very protected in these rooms and around you all, but out there I was um, trembling. I didn't know how to live out in that life, and it took a long time. I'm running real close to out of time, so I want to tell you what it's like today for me. Um... I talked to you a little bit about my family, and um, my family has difficulties, as any family does. You know, uh, One thing that it doesn't promise us is that it's all going to be a you know, bed of roses from here on out. Um, it's given us a way to find solutions and to live in this life of sobriety. By the way, my husband did get sober along the way, and he has 10 years. He just had 10 years in June. And a lot has happened in that ten years of sobriety. I um, don't have, you know, that's a whole other story. I could spend another hour up here telling you about um, crazy things happening in sobriety too, to all of us. But um, anyway, we have a chance now. He has a chance. I know that, and and I do too. And I want to tell you how much I love Alcoholics Anonymous. I um, probably the single, the one. Event that um, sticks out that I can maybe sum this up a little bit for you, and um, it always really touches me. And it, it touched me then; it touches me now. And that is um, how you loved him, um, sober. You know how you got him, how you took hold of him, and and I saw that happen. And I learned along the way that I need to get out of the way, get back you know, and let God and Alcoholics Anonymous take care of this man. And uh, before I tell you the little story, I'll tell you that I have never, because of sponsorship in this program and because of the Al Anon program and the insistence from my sponsor that we study the big book in addition to what we do, I have never had to ask my husband not to attend a meeting for my selfish reasons. I have never had to ask my husband, do not go out to that 12-step Call tonight because we've got. Or I want to do this. I've never had to ask him that. Ever. I hope I never do. I hope, hope I never lose sight of the importance of that in his life and perhaps that person's life. Um, we love it. He loves it, and I love it. And that's that happens in our home. Um, but back to the story. One night. Before Dan got sober, I was very, um, first year, I think, in Al Anon. He called me one night in one of those, those ways that he would get, and he needed some help. And he called me frequently, and he needed help, I need help, I need help, you know, and I couldn't do it for him, and I, it was just, it was a mess during those times, and he asked me if I would take him down to Beach Street to a meeting. It was 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and he he had attended meetings along the way in his sobriety, and he said, would you just take me down there? And he was so drunk that when I went to the bar to get him, he couldn't get to the car, and finally got him there, and I got him down to Beach Street. And this is what my thinking was. Um, My thinking was, I don't know if they're going to want him in there, you know, we hadn't been wanted around for quite a while, and uh, people had sort of, you know, gone away from us, and I didn't know what I was supposed to do, and I drove up to the parking lot, and, and what came, the thought that came to me was the things that I was learning, and that was to get out of the way and let God do his work. I was not responsible. It's not my, my deal anymore. I just need to move out of the way and let God do the work, and that kept going over and over in my head. So I drove him down to Beach Street, and I knew that whatever was going to happen was supposed to happen, and it would be a part of something someday. Anyway, I um, didn't even walk into the door. I sat in the car, and all I could say to him was, have a good meeting, honey. And He got out of the car, and he fell three times in the parking lot before he could get to the door. It was real tough not to get out there and, and do my thing and drag him in there and humiliate him. But I'd also learned something about allowing someone some dignity. And I let him do it himself, and he got to the door. And as I saw him walk in, I knew he'd be okay, and I left. I came back in an hour and sat out in the same parking lot waiting for him. And uh, he was the last one to come out, and when he did, there was an AA member on each side of him. And they had their arms around him. And they were hugging him and loving him. And I looked at that. And uh, this is another one of those miracles. It's right in front of your eyes if you look close. And that is that I am incapable of loving him in that way. I knew I was. I I didn't know how to do that for him, what you could do for him. And I learned a lot about Alcoholics Anonymous that night. And I've seen that happen time after time after time, but that night in particular was important to me because you saved my husband's life. I know that today. So, um, I'm I'm extremely, extremely, indebted to Alcoholics Anonymous for that. Um, and I have since that day continued to stay out of his way. Doesn't mean I don't get selfish in other ways, you know. But when it comes to that one thing. I move aside. That's my place. So um, that's kind of where things are today. I have uh, a wonderful, the delights of my life are my grandkids. My husband got to walk his daughter down the aisle of marriage a year and a half ago. And uh, that was another miracle. Great events come to pass. That was one of them. You know, and I never knew that I'd ever see her married and I certainly never thought I'd ever see him walk her down the aisle and hand her over to this other man. And it was a beautiful sight to see. And what kept coming over me was thank you God for letting this happen. You know, this was the family that couldn't even be in the same room together. This is the husband that he and I would battle many evenings. This is the, this is where we came from and this is where we are today and I got to see that Um, my grandchildren have never seen my husband drunk they've never seen their grandma in in her worst days Um, my children trust she trusts us with those kids Um, they bring us so much joy and I thank God every day for giving us that opportunity to do different today what we couldn't do back then you know I think that's what they're probably all about um, it's, it's just, it's a miracle It's an absolute miracle I enjoy life today um, You know, this is a very, very serious disease But I've cried enough in my lifetime I've cried enough I want to be happy and I want to live So I go out and I try to live this life And I have fun And I think God thinks that's okay <laughs> You know, He's given me a way to do that I'm not afraid of people anymore I got to go back to nursing school And in 1991, my daughter and I graduated together from nursing school. And we got to walk hand in hand. And we're both nurses. And we get to take care of people in a healthy way. You know, not in one of those sick ways, but in a good way. Many, many things have come, these great events have come to pass in our life. Um, And I've got you all to thank for that. I have no idea what I just said up here, (laughs) you know. I used to think, when I first got asked to do this, I thought there is no way I could talk for 10 minutes, let alone an hour. And now it's very difficult to uh, tell you about my gratitude in an hour's time. So I'm going to stop now and, and hand this podium over to Alcoholics Anonymous and let Wanda talk. Thank you very much.